Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. For the last month, we have been um, taking a good, close look at the, the early history of the church that's recorded in the book of Acts. And the reason that we're going through this series, that we're actually wrapping up today, is so that we as a church could make the necessary changes that we need to make in order to fulfill the mission that Christ has given His church, given to us. And we've taken a look at some of the key components of the early church's devotion, particularly things that they they gave themselves to above everything else. Um, And as we've been looking at it, we've discovered they gave themselves to an ever-deepening devotion and connection to God in worship. They made time for worship. Um, The growing level of care and support within that early church as they broke bread together in their homes and built relationships with each other. And the willingness that they had to set aside their own agendas and their own preferences and their own way of doing things, their own self-interest, in order to serve others and to serve God. And this morning we're going to look at the fourth component. And I think this one is foundational to all the rest because if we don't do this one, then forget all the others. Um, And it's really recorded... It's at the heart of Jesus' final words recorded in Acts chapter 1. In fact, it's on your outline there if you want to pull it out. I'd like us to read this together because this really, in essence, this is kind of the outline of the whole book of Acts. Um, This is what the whole book of Acts, the whole story is about this one sentence. And it's the final words that Jesus gave to his followers before he ascended back up into heaven. I'd like to read us together because this has got to be deep in our hearts, all right? So we're going to read this together. Jesus said, Acts 1.8, he said this, You will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now we, 2,000 years later, have the benefit of knowing how that turned out, okay? 2,000 years now, we can see and we can look back at how they went about doing that. But I want you to put yourself back as if you were one of the 12 on that day. And, and here you've been with Jesus, followed him three years. Um, you saw him crucified. You've seen him now resurrected. And, and he's, he's, he's ascending up into heaven. This is it. His final words. And he says to you, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then he goes up. I'm sure they took, stood around and they looked at each other said, okay, (laughs) how are we going to do this? (laughs) Because Jesus was kind of a little fuzzy on the details about this whole thing, you know? And and you got to kind of think about it because there's no mass media, okay? There's nobody printed up the four spiritual laws pamphlets that you can hand out, you know? There's no TV, there's no radio, there's no internet, there's no YouTube, there's no Wikipedia, which is, we all know, is the ultimate source of truth and knowledge in this world, okay? They got no way of getting this word out. And I'm sure they just kind of looked at each other and they said, now what do we do? What do we do? Jesus, you know, because that's all he said. As I said, you 12, reach the world. That's it. And they were crazy enough and devoted enough to say, okay, then let's do it. Let's do it. Because you see, that assignment that Jesus gave to them 2,000 years ago, has not changed. And now it's our turn. And it's been brought to us in the very same words that Jesus spoke to those original 12. He speaks to us. 
You'll receive power, and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It's up to you. It's up to you. And I think there are some really key things as we look at these early followers on how they went about doing this, and particularly the things that sustained them through all of the things that they went through in trying to fulfill this, this assignment, this commission that Jesus had given them. And I think the very same things that became the absolute essential convictions of their heart have to grip ours as well. And that's what I want to kind of look at this morning. We're going to wrap this whole series up. We're going to look at a couple of different passages through the book of Acts. But it really comes down to this, that each and every one of us have to be absolutely convinced, as they were, about these, these particular things. The first is, that it is God who is at work in this world. God is at work in this world. That is really, really important because I think one of the reasons that we are sometimes reticent or hesitant to, to share this message that we've received with somebody else is, um, you know, we just feel like it's all on me. What if I make a mistake? What if I don't get it all right, you know? And, and one person described it to me this way. Anytime one of those situations all of a sudden come up and the topic comes up or somebody asks a question, it's like all of a sudden my mouth goes dry, you know, and, and all the moisture from my mouth ends up in my palms and my palms get all sweaty. You know, my mind goes blank and I don't feel like I can say one intelligible word. And maybe you felt that way. And a lot of the reason you feel that way, I think, is because we feel like it's all on us. The pressure is on us to get it right. But if you look at Luke's description, and Luke, by the way, is the one who wrote this book, um, he writes about the early church. And I don't know if you caught this. We've looked at this sentence a few times now this last couple months. It says, They continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in the homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then this last sentence, and I don't know if you've caught it, but it goes like this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Who's at work here? It's God. The Lord added to their number. And I think our nervousness and the awkwardness with which sometimes we share is simply because we think it's all on me. What if I make a mistake? And Jesus didn't say, go and don't make any mistakes. What he said was, go and be my witnesses. You're going to make mistakes. I, you know, I, 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 there are times when I've had a conversation with somebody and, and you know, kind of shared a few things and the opportunity opened up and then it kind of the opportunity went away and it was just, you know, and I walk away from the, oh, I should have said you know, oh, man, why didn't I think of that before? The deal is this. It's not all up to you. And I think one of the reasons why the early believers could be so bold in declaring this message is they understood God's the one who's at work. It's not all on me. In fact, you find that over and over again as you read through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11 says the Lord's power was with them and a larger number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Acts 16, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to accept Paul's message. See, the deal is this. When you understand you're not alone in this, it takes the pressure off. It's not all on you. And the truth is, you never know. You have no idea what God is doing in somebody else's heart. You really don't. You have no idea what God is doing in somebody else's heart. And when you think it's all on you, you make the mistake of not realizing God's at work. The baptism video we showed at the beginning of the service, one of the last guys that got baptized um, on that last Sunday, um, his name is Brian Moore. Brian has been attending this church for almost three years. 
Okay? Every Sunday, dinner, you know, his wife dragged him along, and so he came, you know. <laughs> and, and actually, he kind of was interested in technology, so he got involved in our tech team. So he had to be here. You know, he had no choice. He had to show up. And, and so Sunday after Sunday, he's been here, almost three years. And all of a sudden, one Sunday, it's like, bing. I need to do something about this. I need to make a decision about this. Because God had been working in his heart for three years. And that's the deal. God is at work. And I will tell you, folks, my constant prayer, every Sunday, every message, my prayer goes something like this. Lord, if you can make sense out of anything I say today, please do that. <laughs> I walk on campus every Sunday morning. I park my car out there. I walk to the office and say, Lord, please, please make something happen, you know? Because if it's all on me, I'm not going to change a life. You know, if it's my convincing words, if it's my, you know, my ability to speak, I mean, you know how I stumble over my words all the time. If it's on me, it's not going to happen. So my prayer is just, God, would you somehow touch somebody's heart by something I say today? Because here's the deal. I want the people I love to find the God that I love. And my prayer is that they would discover that the God who has chosen to love me, loves them too. And that's all I want to do. I want to help people make that connection with God. And if it was all up to me, it wouldn't happen. But I think our power and our strength comes in knowing God's at work. God is at work. God is at work in this world. God is at work in the lives of your friends and your family. God is at work, but, and here's the but, it's up to us. It's up to each of us to share his message. God's at work, but we play a part in this. It's up to us to share this message. You read through the story, and especially the first five, six, seven chapters of the book of Acts, by all accounts, this church in Jerusalem is a success. I mean, you look at the description of the life of the early church, and, and, and ministry is flourishing, and, and people are generously sharing and caring for one another. And, and even when they have conflicts, they're resolving them in, in righteous, gracious ways. I mean, stuff is happening, and it's all good stuff happening in the church. And any pastor, any pastor with the salt would be happy to pastor a church like this because everything was just running so well, except for one thing. One thing. And it's the problem that happens in every single church. They had taken their eyes off the assignment. And everything became inwardly focused. Because remember what Jesus' words were? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. The trouble is, they're all still in Jerusalem still. Nobody's moved. They're still sitting around in their little holy huddle and it's great things are happening. Boy, this isn't exciting. And wow, look at all the stuff that's going on. And ministries are going on and people are generous and sharing and caring and all this great stuff is happening. But they're still stuck in Jerusalem. Now, any batter who is batting only 250 will not be in the lineup very long. Because Jesus called them to something more than just Jerusalem. They had lost sight of what the assignment had been. And something needed to change. Because if it didn't change, if it didn't change, then this would become nothing more than just another religious sect, branch of Judaism. It wouldn't have gone any further. And eventually it would have died out like all the other hundreds of different sects there were at that time. 
It would have just been one more to come and go. Something had to change. If it didn't change, that was going to be the end of it. And so God changed things. He had to shake things, shake things up a little bit. And so you read in Acts chapter 8, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, and those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, I want you to look at that. Where did they get scattered to? Judea? Samaria? Those places sound familiar at all? (laughs) And look at who it is that gets scattered and who stays. Who stays? The apostles, the pros. Who gets scattered? Everybody else. Everybody else. It's like God had to just kind of step back and give a good kick in the pants to get them going because they're stuck in Jerusalem just doing the Jerusalem thing. And Jesus said, it's more than just Jerusalem. You got to get out there. You got to get out there. And if you won't do it, I'll help you along. And in fact, you read further on in in chapter 11, it says, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch And they began to speak to Greeks also. They told them the good news about the Lord Jesus. You and I have been entrusted with the greatest message in this world. Absolutely. The greatest message in this world. You and I. In fact, fact, on your outline there where it says it's up to us, would you put a line through that and just put it's up to me? Because that's who it is. It's each of us saying it's up to me. To me, you and I have been entrusted with the greatest message in history. It's called the good news. The Bible word is evangelism, but that's just a fancy Greek word, derivative of a Greek word that simply means good news. And it wasn't even a Christian word. It was a word that was used to describe when a messenger would come back from the battlefield to make the report to the king that they had been victorious. That's good news. Our team won. Good news, good news is, is the call of Russ Hodges. The Giants win the pennant. The Giants win the pennant. The Giants win the pennant. That's good news. Only our good news is true. That's what it is. That's what they proclaimed. And you and I are the scattered ones. See, here we are 2,000 years later, and God is still scattering his church. And he has scattered you in your neighborhood, on your job, in your family, with your co-workers, with your clients. He scattered you there because you may be the only person that can reach that one. He scattered all of them. And it wasn't the pros that continued to carry on the message. It was a plain, vanilla, ordinary, everyday Christ follower. It's up to us. It's up to you. It's up to me. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, but you don't know my friends. (laughs) Now, you don't know my family, okay? If there's anybody that can't be reached with all of this, you know, it's it's my brother. You know, there's no way he's going to go buy into this stuff. Here's the third point. No one, no one is too far that God cannot reach. Peter's very first sermon on that day that the church began, he got up. And he talked about, these, to the, about Jesus to these people. And he said, this is what has happened. That Christ has come. God come to us. Although we crucified him and we put him on a cross and we killed him, 
He didn't stay dead. He resurrected, and he died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. He was risen again so that we could have a new life, and that's the promise. That's the promise, and he goes on. He ends it with this, and this promise, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. It's not just for the people that are close. It's even for those who are far off. And little did he know on that day that that was going to be put to the test. Because not much much more than a couple weeks, a couple months later, this persecution breaks out and people are scattered. And in the thick of all this persecution is a Pharisee named Saul. And this guy is on a mission. And he is out there to stamp out the church. He's going to stamp out this new religious sect that started up. He's going to stamp out their theology. He's going to stamp out what they're trying to preach. He's going to take care of this. In fact, he goes so far as he get arrest warrants from the judges to be able to go out to the scattered places like Damascus, arrest those guys, and bring them back and put them on trial. I mean, that's how committed he is to stamping this thing out. If there is anybody who is far from the kingdom of God, if there's anybody that is far from this Christian message, it's this guy named Saul. And yet... On his way to Damascus, God knocks him off his high horse, literally. (laughs) Knocks him to the ground, blinds his eyes, and he has to be led by his friends into the city and find a place to stay. And he's left there blind. And then God speaks to a follower named Ananias. And he says to Ananias, I want you to go down to Straight Street because there's a man there named Saul, and you're going to go talk to him. Now, what would your reaction be to that? Okay? Exactly what Ananias was. Look at this. He says, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man. They say he's done great harm to God's people in Jerusalem, and now he's come here to arrest all those who worship you. And you want me to go talk to him? Come on. But he does. But he does. Because you see, the message of Jesus is the message of grace. And the message of grace is nobody's too far. Nobody's beyond forgiveness. Nobody is beyond restoration. And even this guy that everybody thinks is the last person you would consider to be a believer, the last person you would think that would come to faith in Christ, the very last person that anybody would give any thought to seeing in a church, he's the guy. And if God can reach a guy named Saul, he can reach anybody. And in fact, he reaches him so much that this guy is so transformed that his name is changed from Saul to Paul. And the rest of the book of Acts is pretty much the details of his story going out and sharing this message all around the Roman Empire. And in fact, most of our New Testament are letters written by this man to all the churches that he founded all over the Mediterranean. That's most of our, that's most of our New Testament. And he would write things like he wrote to the Ephesian church, In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. How could he write that? Because he knew it firsthand. He knew firsthand the forgiveness of God. He knew firsthand what it meant to be restored. He knew firsthand what it meant to give up on all of his religious trappings and find a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he could write, even you who are far off are now brought near. See, I think sometimes, sometimes the message is confused because we're the ones confusing it. 
I think sometimes people don't understand what this message is all about because of us, because of teachers, because of preachers, because of everyday Christians, because we kind of get it all confused and get it all muddled ourselves. The truth is, this message is very, very simple. It is very simple. Paul wrote about it to the Ephesians. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so no one can boast. It's that simple. That's the message. For by grace you are saved through faith. Grace simply means gift. Gift. Grace means I don't pay my own way. I can't earn this. I can't deserve it. But Jesus did it for me. Jesus died on the cross in full payment for my sin, for my past, for my wrongdoing, for my bad thoughts, for my bad attitudes. He died for all of that. He paid the price already. He turns around and he says, now this is my gift to you. Forgiveness, grace, mercy, restoration, new life. This is my gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. But I paid for it for you. And it's my gift to you. That's grace. That's the message. And it's received, he says, by faith. Faith is just the word, means trust. It means a choice to quit trying to do it on my own and to rest on him. And that's really the simplest message. God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. He paid a price for all of my wrongdoing and he gave me this gift of forgiveness and new life and all I'm doing is trusting in him. That's it. That's it. I talk with people very often and they think what it takes to get into heaven is you got to be good, you got to do good, you got to keep all the Ten Commandments. Never mind that I don't know all of them, but I'm going to do it, you know. Where did they get that idea? Because we are not clear on the message. The message is simple. It is by grace. It is a gift that you receive forgiveness, that you receive rescue. It's not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Through faith, you put your weight on it. You put your trust there. And it's that simple. And no one, no one is too far away from that message. Nobody. And we need to be clear on this message because of this. Because everybody matters in God's eyes. Everybody matters in God's eyes. Throughout the book of Acts, Luke gives progress reports. He kind of gives an update on how this is going as they go from city to city and place to place and area to area, region to region. And as they go through, over and over again, uh, Luke kind of gives an update on what happened and how things are progressing. And, and, and it's over and over again. You find it all the way through the book. Acts chapter 2 says those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 people joined the believers that day. 3,000 people. And then he goes a little bit later on in Acts chapter 4. And he says, now here, many who heard the message believed. And the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. And then you go on in Acts chapter 11. It says, he doesn't even put a number. It just says a large number. A large number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, this is important. This is really, really important. If you don't get anything else, get this, folks. Because I sometimes hear people say something that sounds really, really spiritual. And they say something along the lines of, well, we're not into numbers. It's it's not about numbers. And I I want you to hear me clearly this morning. Numbers 
are people. Numbers are people. And every person matters. It's important. It's important because people matter to God. And in the last 12 months, we have had the privilege of seeing 55 people get baptized in our church family. Yeah. Yeah. 55 people. Every one of them is a person, not a number. They're a person Jesus loves, that Christ died for. They're a person who's taken a step of faith to say, I'm going to follow him. They're not a number, a person. I grew up in a family of four kids. Don't help, ask me to explain it. My parents were crazy. Because, you know, when, in our family, we, we, only, we only had two. Because we figured if they start outnumbering us, we are sunk, okay? But my parents, they were crazy. They had four. I'm the oldest, two girls, and then my brother is the youngest. Four kids. Now, if my parents went on a family vacation with us four kids and only came back with three, and their neighbor said to them, I thought you had four kids. And my parents said, well, we're not into numbers. <laughs> we got three quality kids, you know. It's, we're not into numbers. We're into quality. You know, because it probably would have been me left behind. <laughs> you think they're crazy. But if we say not into numbers and we use that as an excuse to not care about people, we have missed the boat. Because I will tell you, folks, within a 12-mile radius of this spot where we are this morning are hundreds of thousands of people who live in that 12-mile radius. Many of them, many of them do not know God loves them. Do not know that Christ died for them. Do not know that there is forgiveness and hope and a promise of eternity. Many of them, and thousands of them, drive up and down this freeway every day. And they live in Hercules, and Pittsburgh, and Antioch, and Green Valley, and Fairfield, and Vallejo, and Benicia, and they live all around us. They live in your neighborhood. They work on your job. And God cares about them. And they're not just a number. They're a person. They're a person that matters to God. And we, we must be willing to make the changes to reach them with this message. It's up to us. See, what happened in the early church is something really, really crazy. They actually went out to all the world. <laughs> they actually did it. They got beyond Jerusalem. They went out into Judea. They went out into Samaria. They went out beyond. They went out to all throughout the Roman Empire. And here's what happened. People heard the message and people believed. The trouble was, they were Gentiles. Now you understand how big a deal this is. Because all of the early believers were Jewish. Every one of them. All of those who lived in Jerusalem and in Judea were pretty much Jewish. Samaria, well, they had, they were, some of those were kind of half-breeds, so they weren't too sure about them. But at least they had some foundation. These Gentiles had no concept they were completely different culture, completely different language, completely un different understanding of God. In fact, they had all kinds of gods. You know, yeah, sure, we'll just add one more to our pantheon. Why not? Yeah, more gods the merrier. They had no clue about the one God, the one true God. And these are the people who are putting their faith in Jesus. 
Now, this creates a problem because any convert to Judaism must get circumcised. That is the mark of conversion. If you are serious about this, you really have to be serious about this. Because if you are a convert, the mark of a follower of God is circumcision. And if you are a male convert, you must get circumcised. The trouble was you have all of these Gentiles who are not circumcised. They're coming to Christ. They're becoming followers of the one true God. They're putting their faith in what Jesus has done for them, but they are not getting circumcised. What are we going to do? Because they're not like us. They don't think like us. They don't speak like us. They don't act like us. And now, are we going to make them get circumcised and this was a big deal this was a huge deal folks understand this 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 is such a big deal this is not about color of carpet okay or lighting or fog machines okay this is not those kind of decisions this is a theological issue and it is so serious that they call a council in Jerusalem and the apostles and all those missionaries that have been out preaching the word all around the Mediterranean all meet together And they spend hours discussing this. And they tell what's happening and what happened here and what happened over there. And all of these new Gentile converts. And they go round and round and round and say, what are we going to do with these people? What are we going to require of them? And they have this big, long discussion. And everybody gives their opinion. And it comes right down to this. And this is one of those foundational sentences to Northgate Christian Fellowship. One of them stood up. He said, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult. We, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, we got to make ourselves uncomfortable. We got to be willing to be a little put out and a little uncomfortable and have to park further away We are the ones who are not supposed to make it difficult for people who are turning to God. It's our job. It's our job to make the changes that we need to make so that we do not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. That's our job. It is not our job to be comfortable. It is not our job to have things the way we like it. It is not our job to have it work out the way I want it to work out. It is our job to not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. And we are the ones who have to make that decision. The onus is on us. Those of us who know, those of us who are followers, we are the ones that need to be uncomfortable. We are the ones that need to make the changes so that we do not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. And I'm going to tell you, folks, this morning, I want to be a part of that kind of church. I want to be a part of that kind of church. And I am willing to make whatever changes I need to make to have that happen. And you might notice on the side walls here that we have put up a poster couple of posters it is a declaration of commitment because if we go through this whole series and talk about change and change is necessary and change is good and we need to make changes but all we do is sit here for an hour on our nice soft seats and we go home and we forget all about it then it means nothing you know let's just let's just you know let's sell off the furniture let's close the doors and let's spend our time doing something else on sunday mornings because this is a waste of time otherwise 
If we are not willing to make the changes, if we are not willing to take on the assignment, if we are not going to get serious about sharing this message of new life with anybody and anywhere we can, then let's just say it's not worth it and let's not spend the time and effort and money on it. But, but if we say people matter, people matter to God, people matter to me, If we say, I want to be that kind of church. I want to serve in that kind of way. I want to give my life to something like that. Then we got to make whatever changes that are necessary. I want to be a part of a church that is willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of those who do not yet know Jesus. And so on this side wall, we had about 200 people in the first service sign this up. And by the way, you can sign up on either side. But I'm going to ask you this morning to make a commitment to this, to say, I'm in. I'm in. 100% full backing, I'm in. I will make the changes. If I need to change, I will change. If that's what it's going to take to reach more and more people for the kingdom of God and let other people know that Jesus loves them and died for them and has an eternity for them with him, if that's what it takes, I can make that sacrifice and I'm in. 200 years ago, The forefathers of our country got together and they said, this is what we are committed to. And they signed on the dotted line. And I'm asking us as a church this morning to say, I'm in. Each and every one of us, I'm in. I'm signing up. I'm there. Because this is what it says. We, the people that call Northgate our place of connection with God, make this declaration of commitment. We will devote ourselves to the worship gathering each week in order to deepen our daily connection with God. We will give priority to helping every person that comes here feel cared for and help them plug into a community of people in a small group. We will seek a place to serve that will help others in the church and outside the church so that the love of Christ would be shown. We will take the responsibility to share the story of Jesus Christ and the impact that he has had on each of our lives. We, the people of Northgate, are making this commitment before God, before our church family, and before our friends to fulfill the mission to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask you to sign on and say, I'm in. I'm in. Whatever it takes, I'm in. Inside your bulletin, there's a card also. Pull it out. It says, Declaration of Commitment. On the front side, you can sign your own name and address. And on the back side, it says, today, I promise to. And whatever that commitment is that you are making today, saying, I will be more diligent in serving. I will become part of this. You can do all all four of them. (laughs) Because here's what we're going to do. We're going to collect these cards, and in about a month, we're going to mail them to you. Because you know what? We have a tendency to forget. Two weeks ago, we talked about being a church on time. The next Sunday, everybody was on time, pretty much. The next Sunday, about three-quarters were on time. This morning, okay, you know who you are. (laughs) Because it's real easy to sign a piece of paper and walk away and say, okay, well, I did that. It's another thing to say, I'm in. So this is your reminder card. You write a note to yourself. Say, remember, remember. You might put the first name of the person you're praying for that you care about, the person on your job, the person in your neighborhood that you want to see come to Jesus. 
And this might just be a reminder to keep praying for them. I have people in my life that I've been praying for for years. And they haven't yet made that step. But I'm still praying for them. I'm still praying for them because I want the people that I love to know the God that I love. So that they would discover the God who loves me loves them too. And that's my prayer. And maybe that's what you need to put on here. I don't know. But in a moment, we're going to close. And I'm going to give you a chance to just come and sign on. Say, I'm in. And I am willing to make whatever change I need to make to see to it that this church fulfills the mission that Jesus has given us. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.